some of the ways that we think and some of the ways that we go about our spiritual life. And so what we see happening here in 2 Kings 5 is a real lesson in humility for him. And uh, and I think it's kind of interesting that uh, the prophet plays an important role in that lesson. So I'm going to look at that a little bit. So Naaman, just give some background on who he is. Um, he was the army commander for the king of Aram, uh, which would be modern-day Syria. And so he commanded the armies for the king. He was a brave soldier. Um and he is a proud man, but he is also a great man. And so he had an incurable disease, a skin disease, leprosy, or some kind of a skin disease that was not curable by any means. And so leprosy is a disease that it, it will affect a person and then they will develop white patches on their skin and eventually the skin and the tissue around it dies and they begin to lose skin no matter where it is. So if leprosy is on their face, they could lose portions of their face or on their hands or wherever you might find the leprosy, the skin disease. It's not a passive disease. It's a disease that really eats into the individual and causes pain and suffering and uh, eventually eats away at their body. So uh, it was a disease that was taken seriously. Uh, if you look into the Old Testament law, uh, you see various commands about skin diseases in the Old Testament law, and there were whole procedures to follow if people had certain skin diseases. And so leprosy was named among those, and it was serious. If somebody developed leprosy, uh, they would be cast out of the camp. They, if they developed leprosy, they weren't allowed within a certain distance of people that didn't have leprosy. They had to announce themselves uh, so that people wouldn't, necess- wouldn't uh, just run into them by accident. And so it was really something with a mark on people that when they had leprosy, it's like they, it really excluded them from a normal life. They excluded them from being a part of the congregation. It excluded them from being a part of the camp. It excluded them from being a part of the local community. And and so you find that with people with leprosy just right throughout the, the history of Israel, and you look even into the New Testament, and Jesus dealt with lepers, and he ministered to lepers, and you see him healing lepers. And so this is just something that continued on. Uh, through the history of Israel. so But God took it really seriously. Uh, there were a lot of commands about it, and there were procedures to be followed. And so this was something that was not lightly regarded. Uh, it was something that was a heavy issue uh, because uh, of its spread, and people afraid they'd be getting it, and it would spread throughout the people. So Naaman... While he was a great man, he was a proud man, he was a powerful man, he was the commander of the armies, uh, he had proven himself to be brave, he had, he had proven himself to be uh, effective at what he was doing, uh, he had leprosy. And so that was something that just would not go away, at least not on its own. So there, the story is, is that he, and the account is in the scriptures, is that he had taken a girl from Israel as a captive, and she was serving in his house. Uh, she was somebody that uh, he had, for whatever reason, had been uh, taken captive from Israel. And so she noticed that he had leprosy serving in his home. And so she made the statement that she wished that he would go to Samaria and see the prophet there. Now, we know that to be Elisha. And so she told him that if he'd go see the prophet in Samaria, that he could be healed. And so that he listened to what she had to say. And if you think about it, I mean, he has leprosy. There's no cure for it. So here's a possibility. In other words, here's this slave girl 
this captive that he had taken captive, and she says, well, there's someone that can heal leprosy in Samaria if he just go and he would uh, see the prophet. So he went to the king, his king, in Aram, and he asked him about it. He said, well, this girl, I told him the story. This girl told me that there's somebody in Samaria, in Israel, that can heal me. And I want to go, and I want to ask. And so the king told him, he said, well, I think you should go. And so the king wrote him a letter uh, to the king of Israel uh, from the king of Aram. And he said, this is, told him who he was and requested that he see the prophet so that he could be healed. And so he sent him with, now listen to these numbers, 750 pounds of silver. Okay? And 150 pounds of gold. Anybody have any idea how much gold is going for by the ounce? $600 or something? It may be even more. It's gone, and I've seen it as high as two grand. Yeah. You know, a number of years ago. So if it's around 600, that's kind of average. So 600 an ounce, well, he's sitting with 120, uh, excuse me, 150 pounds of gold. So he had 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold from the king of Aram, and was sent off with a letter to the king of Israel saying, hook this guy up with Elisha so that he can be healed. But I want you to understand that's how valuable Naaman was to the king of Aram. That's how much he valued him. That's how great a warrior he was. That's how great a leader he was. And that's how much the king valued him, valued his service. So he sent him with these riches. He sent him with a letter. And he says, go, speak to the king of Israel and uh, present him with these things so that you can be healed. Now, so he shows up with the king of Israel and I know I'm just telling the story. You can read it yourself if you want. But he shows up with the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is like, oh, okay, here's this guy with leprosy. Now we know that they're weird about it, right? Did I, did I spend enough time telling you that it's in the law, and they're kind of weird about it, like they don't like it, and they're, not, they're excluded, and they have to announce themselves and all this stuff? Well, I'm sure Naaman wasn't announcing himself as he came into town. Okay, he's the leader of the armies of Aram. Okay, he's not, he's got silver and gold on him and a letter from the king to see the king of Israel. So, you, you think about it, I mean, probably the king of Israel was even a little bit nervous having the guy there. Alright? And he was more nervous because the king of Aram is like, oh, in the letter is like, oh yeah, uh, make sure he sees the prophet Elisha, who the king of Israel had no power over whatsoever. But make sure he sees that guy and make sure he's healed. And the king of Israel's response to that was, what, how am I going to make sure he's healed? I'm sure he couldn't even you know, make sure he'd see Elisha, much, much less make sure he's healed. And so that just made him nervous. Plus having a leper in town made him nervous. Plus the leper not following the law made him nervous. Plus his own exposure to leprosy made him nervous. So the king was nervous. And so he sends him on uh, toward Elisha. So Naaman, you follow me so far? All right, so Naaman shows up at the house of Elisha, and he wants to be healed. That's the whole reason he's there. He's asking to be healed. He's got an incurable disease, skin disease. He wants to be healed. That, that's the whole point of this, right? And so as he's approaching the house of Elisha, Elisha sends out a servant to him with a message. So he doesn't even make it to the house of Elisha. He's just on the way. And so Elisha sends a servant out to him and says, here's what you need to do to be healed. Go down to the Jordan River, wash seven times, and you'll be cleansed of the leprosy. You'll be healed. So he gives him direction, and he tells him what he needs to do to be healed. Now, again... Why was Naaman there? What, what was his purpose of traveling to Israel? What did he want? To get healed. Right. And so he goes to the king. The king sends him to Elisha. The whole purpose behind what he was doing was to get to Elisha 
so that he could be healed. So he's on the way to Elisha, doesn't even have to get all the way there. Elisha sends out a servant, knows he's coming, sends out a servant and says, this is what you need to do to be healed. Case closed. However, Naaman became offended. Because culturally, visits are done in a certain way in their culture. So if you have somebody important coming to your house or coming to your town or coming into your country, there's a way that they're to be treated. There's a certain way that they're to be received. There's a certain way that you're supposed to act. There's a certain way that you're supposed to treat them. And because Naaman was a powerful man, he was a man who had a wielded uh, a lot of influence in his nation. He was somebody well known. He was somebody that had a king uh, letter from the king. He was somebody that was the king's right hand man. And if you think about his position in Syria, the only person he answered to was the king. That was the only person that he had to answer to. And so he, everybody else answered to him, except for the king. And so he had been sent by the king with riches, silver and gold and all of these things. And he was an important guy. And Elisha, a prophet, which Naaman was not of their particular faith, he was not of their particular belief system, he was not of their particular way of seeing God, he was not of their particular way of understanding God, and so he didn't even really probably understand the role of the prophet or understand who Elisha was, he was just given the name, and that's who that slave girl told him to go to. And so he was on the way to see him. He doesn't even get there. And a a lowly messenger comes out and tells him, okay, then this is all you need to do. Wash seven times in the Jordan, and then you're going to be cleansed. Well, he didn't expect that. He did not expect that to happen. Because what should have been done, according to his mind, was what's supposed to be done culturally. In other words, there's supposed to be a reception, and there's supposed to be a way that he's treated, and there's supposed to be a way that's supposed to be done. And so right off the bat, there's a problem, because he's being disrespected in his position. He's an important guy. And this Elisha guy, who he doesn't even know, and doesn't really even understand his role, doesn't understand his whole thing, he's not even respectful of him didn't even greet him himself, didn't even, didn't even open his door, didn't even allow him in, certainly didn't wash his feet, certainly didn't prepare a big banquet meal, certainly didn't present him with gifts or anything, nothing, nothing. And so he had all of these cultural expectations of this is how it's going to go. And I'm sure he received many of those things when he went to see the king. But none of that happened, none of it. None of it happened. And so he was angry. He was hangry. So he said this. He said, I was sure. If you read in there, this is Naaman speaking. He said, I was sure. In other words, these are strong expectations that this is what was going to happen. These are strong expectations about this is how things are going to go. Because this is the way things go. Because this is how things are done. Well, Elisha didn't subscribe to that. And under the direction of the Holy Spirit and under the direction of God, he had a different way of doing it. Because like I said, there was a lesson in humility that was about to be played out here. And the lesson in humility was important because of how Naaman was going to approach God. And how Naaman was going to approach this healing. And how Naaman was going to approach this moment in his life where he asked the holy God to bring healing to an incurable skin disease. And something in his heart was going to have to be humbled in order to receive. And so this is how it was set up. This is how the Holy Spirit directed Elisha. This is how the Holy Spirit uh, told Elisha that this is how it's going to happen. I mean, Elisha didn't even come out. And, and, and here's his expectations. You ready? 
His name is, he's, this is what he's sure was going to happen. This is what he was sure of. He's like, I was sure that Elisha would come out. And I was sure that Elisha would stand there in front of me. And I was sure that Elisha would pray to the Lord. And I was sure that Elisha would wave his hand over my skin, probably in some dramatic fashion. I was sure of it. And then I'd be healed. So he was sure of all those things. He was sure of it. And see, that's what expectations are. You go into a situation and the expectations that you bring to that situation dictate how you see it. Because Naaman brought in all of these expectations about how things are going to go. He brought in all these expectations about how he was going to be treated. All these expectations about how Elijah was going to be and how he was going to regard him and how he was going to honor him and how he was going to do things a certain way. What way? Naaman's way. The way he wanted it done. The way he expected it done. The way that he had seen it done in his own mind. That was how it was going to be done. That's how it goes. And if you're a person like Naaman was, that he usually gets his way, which he did, well then your expectations become reality. A lot of times. And so Naaman was sure that those are all the things that were going to be done. He was sure of it. Because that's the way they'd been done in the past in other situations. That's the way that he had seen people healed in the past maybe in his pagan religion. And his false religion and his doctrine of demons, that's the way people did things. And so surely that's how Elisha was going to do things. But it wasn't. That's not how he did things. In fact, Elisha didn't meet his expectations at all. He was really bad at meeting expectations on this particular trip. And one thing about Elijah and Elisha that you get right off the bat is neither one of them met expectations very well. And we have to understand from that that our expectations get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. And I, and I, can, I can begin to name stuff off. And, and I, I can give you examples from my own personal life. Most of you know I used to travel and do a lot of ministry out there, uh, all over New York State, I, I was traveling church to church doing ministry, and not only New York State, I mean going other places, doing ministry, other states, other nations, and one of the things that I found out doing that is that people carry with them a lot of silly expectations about things. They carry with them a lot of silly ways that they believe things need to work. They carry with them ideas that they bring in from, I don't even know where, the old religions that came out of, the, the old ways of doing things that they came out of. They, they bring those expectations with them. They bring in expectations from their childhood. They bring in expectations from what their parents told them. They bring in expectations from what they've seen done on television. And I want to tell you something. You know, I could pick on people that come out of really old religions that bring those expectations in. But you know who's just as bad? Charismatics. Because they'll watch something on television and they'll see it done by an evangelist on TV or on video, or on YouTube, or wherever they happen to see it, they'll see an evangelist do a certain thing, and, and that's the way it's got to be done. That becomes their new expectation. If the guy doesn't do that, then, then, then it's not right. It's not going to work. And so, without picking on people that come out of the old ways, I'll pick on people that come out of the new ways. I can remember I was at a church in East Aurora one time, that's outside of Buffalo. And I showed up and the pastor of the church wasn't there. His assistant pastor was running the service the week I was there. I always hated that. It didn't happen very often. 
Because normally if you have a guest speaker, the, the senior pastor was there because he kind of wants to keep an eye on things. But I knew this guy, and he knew me, and he trusted me, and I think he just used that as an opportunity to get out of Dodge. So the assistant pastor was running the service, and this kid had just gotten back from a big conference out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at the time, Tulsa, Oklahoma was the epicenter of charismatic, all things charismatic and spirit-filled. And so he just gotten back from that, and so, uh, you know, I, he, he introduced me, I got up, and I preached, and invited people forward for prayer, and so I started ministering over people, and my style of ministry is kind of low-key, if you haven't noticed, and so I, I don't really do a lot of flashy things, and, and so I was ministering over people in, in the way that I do. And all of a sudden, this kid whipped off his sport coat that he was wearing, started swinging it around up in the air, and started hitting people with it. All right? Because that's what you do, apparently. Or that's what you used to do. I don't know what you do now. You guys ever see the YouTube video with Benny Hinn? Bodies? Yeah. And he was swinging his coat, and he was doing that. Well, he was the speaker that this guy went to see at the conference he was at in Tulsa. And so he picked up, taking off his coat and swinging it and hitting people with it. And sure enough, they were falling out in the power of the Spirit. God was moving and all this good stuff was happening. But it just struck me as I stood there watching it. It's like, hey, that's Benny Hinn's stick, man. <laughs> you don't have to do that. But people love that. Why? Because that's what they've seen. People loved it. They ate it up. They responded to it. And and over time, I learned, it's like, you know, I went, I went on the road, it's like I just figured, oh, if the power of God moves, He moves, and people be healed or whatever. No, it's not that easy. Because if you don't do things a certain way, people don't know, you know, and they can't receive. It's like, hey, could you pray, you know, like the people want me to pray over for healing. Well, lots of times I pray over people for healing, I don't say anything out loud. And that's just, that's how I've done things, and and there's a release of the power of God, and people are healed and all that. That's good. But I learned over time that there's just certain people who need to hear a prayer. Even if I don't need to pray it, they need to hear it. And so if they hear it, then we're all good. It's like cording to Hoyle, you know. And you pray the prayer, and then they're going to receive it. And I'm not trying to make fun of people. All I'm trying to say is, is that... It doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter if you came out of the old way, the new way. You came out of, uh, you know, whatever circles you came out of. That's not really the point. The point is, is when we begin to build expectations, like, oh, this is how God moves. Maybe. Maybe He did move that way. Maybe He does move that way sometimes through certain people, but maybe He doesn't always move that way. And I want to encourage you not to build these expectations like that. And not to put yourself in a position where these expectations begin to dictate what you can receive and when you can receive it. Because maybe God wants to do something different this time. Maybe God wants to, to move in a different fashion in your life this time. And if you're just living in that expectation, oh, this is how God does things, well, you're going to limit you're going to limit the move of God in your own life. Because sometimes God doesn't do it that way. And sometimes God does things totally in, in a different fashion than, than what you're expecting. And we have to allow for that. We have to allow God to be God. For the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. And for Him to do whatever He's going to do the way He's going to do it. I mean, you think about Jesus... You know, how do you heal blind people? Well, he had a bunch of ways he healed blind people. It wasn't always the same way. Or deaf people. Or or whatever it was that he was healing. It wasn't always the same way. And to limit God that way, and to limit the move of the Holy Spirit, you're doing yourself a disservice. And you're limiting, you're limiting grace which is unlimited, but you're limiting grace in your own life. There's unlimited grace out there. Why? 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 Why put it into the funnel 
of your expectations. Why? So Naaman, he's like, I'm sure this is how it's going to go. That's what he had seen. That's what he experienced. That's what he had believed it was going to be. And it occurs to me that if he had seen people heal this way, and he had seen people move this way, and he had seen people do things the way that he expected it, why wasn't he healed? If it was so great, why didn't it ever work for him? If that was the cat's meow, and that's how things happen, then why wasn't he healed? Oh, he knew. Well, if he knew, why did he still have leprosy? And is that a hard question? I mean, really, is that mean? Is that mean of me to ask that question? Because, because I, you know, I want you to think about that and turn that on yourself. If you know, then why haven't you received? If you're sure, then why are you still asking? If this is how God's going to do it, what's the blockade? And you need to answer that. Because I look at that, and I look at Naaman, and I think you, we'll just make it about Naaman right now. You look at Naaman, and they say to yourself, what's, what's holding it back? He is. Why does he still have leprosy? Because it's going to be done his way or the highway. Why is he still suffering? Oh, because it's not done according to Naaman. And so there he is, still got leprosy. Well, maybe Naaman was wrong. You know what? Not even maybe. Naaman was wrong. Naaman was wrong. He was wrong in his expectations. He was wrong in his demands. He was wrong in the way that he said things were going to happen. He was just wrong. How do you know that? Still got leprosy. And you all know the story of the guy with worms, right? I told you about. Met the guy with worms. Big time pastor. Didn't want to hear anything from me. I prophesied over him. Who prophesies this? I see you got worms eating you from the inside out. Who prophesies that? Right? Would I make that up? Well, he didn't believe in personal prophecy. So he wouldn't receive it. He wouldn't let me pray over him for healing. He wouldn't receive it. Even though the fact of the matter was he was being eaten by worms from the inside. Which she said yes, was true. That is true. That is true. But I don't believe in that. Okay. Keep getting eaten by worms. And he died being eaten by worms. His choice. You have choices. You have choices. You have the ability to humble yourself and admit it's just not your way. It can be your way. I mean, I didn't beg that guy to let me pray healing over him. I didn't even know him. He took me out for lunch and he bought me stuff for June. A gift. And all this other stuff and I received it with thanksgiving. I didn't beg him to pray over him. Because he made up his mind. You want to make up your mind? and Do it. But I want to encourage you that if you can find a place of humility, if you can find yourself in a place where you can be humble, that's the place that you can receive. Naaman just couldn't do it. He had his expectations. Elisha did not meet those expectations. I mean, Elisha didn't come out, right? That was his expectation. He didn't stand before him. That was his expectation. He didn't pray. Elisha didn't even pray. You gotta pray, right? <laughs> nope, he didn't even pray. 
He didn't wave his hand over his skin in any dramatic fashion or any fashion whatsoever. There was no waving. It just was what it was. Didn't even come out, didn't stand there, didn't pray, didn't wave his hand. And so Naaman, because Elisha didn't perform, didn't do what he said, didn't do what he thought, Naaman thought he was being mocked by God. So all of a sudden, it, it turned away from Naaman needing to humble himself and having bad expectations. Of course, it turned on God and his prophet. Oh, they're mocking me. No? No? They just don't perform for you. God doesn't perform for you. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that he, he is not your circus dog, that you tell him what you want him to do and he just does it. That's not how God works. That's not what a God of the universe is. God of the universe does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it. We need to find a place of humility in ourselves to allow the God of the universe to do what, when, and how He wants to do it. If we expect to receive anything. And that's just how it goes. Well, I prayed and He didn't answer. You hear that? You hear that? Oh, He's mocking me. He doesn't even listen to me. You are a child. Number one, he doesn't have to listen to you. He chooses to. Number two, he doesn't have to do anything. He chooses to. He doesn't have to move in your situation. He chooses to. There's no bitterness to that. There's no mocking to that. At all. The God of the universe... He does what he wants to do. You know who understood that? The centurion. They came to Jesus. He got it. The centurion that came to Jesus got it. He wanted Jesus to come and bring healing. But he didn't tell him how to do it. He didn't tell him when to do it. He just asked him to do it. It's like, you can, you can do this any way you want. Just say the word. I know they're healed. And he explained it by saying, I'm a man under authority. And I understand what that means. Because I'll tell you, you know, he had an understanding that Caesar wasn't necessarily out on the battlefield in Palestine. But if he wanted something done, guess what happened? It got done. Because that's how it rolls. And so when he asked Jesus for whatever, he's like, you know, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Because he understood that's how it gets done. So Naaman got angry because he felt like he was being mocked. Because Elisha didn't perform. Didn't do what he wanted. So because he didn't do what he wanted, he got really, really angry. Because of course, Naaman prefers Naaman's way over God's way. Well, that's all I could see. My way. How, how are you going to do this the way I want it done? How is this going to take place just like I imagined it? Yeah, but it didn't. So then he's all of a sudden he's getting mocked. That's what he thinks. So he gets really, really mad. And he starts making these statements. And he has a point here. It's like Elisha told him to go wash in the Jordan. Well, the Jordan River is a muddy river. It's kind of dirty looking. You know, brown. And the rivers that Naaman describes in Syria are clear and nice and clean. He's like, we got better rivers in Syria. If I just had to jump in a river, I... You know, wash yourself in a river, I could have just done that there. And he's all mad. You know, I can't understand it. Can't understand why he would have me do this. Can't understand why he didn't come out. Why he didn't wave his hand in a dramatic fashion. Why he didn't pray. 
Why was it standing in front of me? I can't understand any of it. Can't understand this whole direction going this muddy river, this dirty river, and wash seven times. We got good rivers in Syria. Why? 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 It wasn't what he thought. And you know what the end result of that was? You know what the end result of it was? He still had leprosy. <laughs> he still had leprosy. Because that doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere to get all mad about it. It doesn't get you anywhere to live as a victim of mockery. It doesn't get you anywhere to be mad at God because He doesn't perform for you. It doesn't get you anywhere. Still leprosy. One of the things that this lesson was to teach Naaman, and Elisha was a part of this lesson, was that we all stand equal before God. And Naaman needed to learn that. That his opinion was not any greater than anybody else's opinion. Not before God. That his way of doing things, his expectations, none of those things. Where in his life in Syria, they were really more important than everybody's, except for the king. But before God, they just weren't. And he needed to learn that. And he needed to understand that. And you need to experience that. And you need to live in that. And that's the lesson being taught to Naaman. But that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson for me, and that's a good lesson for you. And that's a good lesson for us that we can learn, hopefully, without kicking and screaming the way that he was. We all have enough experiences in our life where we've been kicking and screaming that we can learn from, if we can apply some truth to them. If we can begin to see who we are. You know, people have a hard time receiving God's grace. Why? Well, because they, they, they think there's some other thing that they have to do. They have a hard time receiving God's forgiveness. Why? Because there's something else that they have to do. Surely it can't be that easy. They have an expectation. And again, they bring it from the old ways or they bring it from their families or they bring it from somewhere else that they have an expectation that I've got to do this and I've got to do that and then I can be forgiven or then I can be cleansed or then, and then I can be saved or then and then and then. And they've got all of these, these, these weird expectations for it. And so they have a hard time just receiving. Well, it can't be that. It, well, yeah, it is actually. And no matter how many times somebody will teach on it, no matter how many times somebody will explain it, no matter how many times somebody will give opportunity to believe it, not going to believe it because that it has to be, yeah, it's got to be more complicated than that. Why? Because you want it to be. You've got an expectation it's going to be. You've got an expectation it's got to be harder than that. And it's got to be X, Y, and Z. And it's got to involve this and it's got to involve that. And a lot of that depends on how you were brought up. You come from a family that they're into doing good stuff for people. There's nothing wrong with doing good stuff for people, but it ain't going to get you saved. But you think it will. You think it will because that's how you're brought up. That's your expectation. Going to wave a magic hand. The good stuff people wave a magic hand over it, and now you're saved. Well, not exactly. Or... You might come out of an a evangelical Christian background. you got to say the sinner's prayer. Then you're saved. Wave your magic hand over the sinner's prayer. Now you're saved. If you don't know what the sinner's prayer is, good for you. Don't worry about it. But that was the way you got saved for 50 years. Okay? Said the sinner's prayer, then you're saved. Well, what if you didn't say the sinner's prayer? Not saved. Uh, no. Um, that, that, that's just whatever your expectation was. That's what you were taught. But maybe that's just not the case. Hey, you get forgiven for sin. Uh, you got to beat yourself with a whip. No. No, those were medieval monks. You don't have to do that. Well, the, the modern equivalent. No, you don't. You don't. 
but you might have an expectation that that's what you have to do. And it, it bars you from receiving the grace that God has for you. It breaks my heart to see that. It breaks my heart for people to reject the goodness of God because something's in their head. Like Naaman standing there, leprous, incurable disease on his skin, just getting mad about it. Go wash in the Jordan. It couldn't be that easy. This guy didn't even come out and say hi to me. This guy didn't even come out and greet me. This guy didn't even come out and pray. Didn't even say a prayer over me. Didn't wave his hand over me. Nothing. Nothing. What do you mean go wash in a muddy river? Can't be that easy. Okay, well then just be full of leprosy. It's like, you want to live unforgiven? With all those feelings of being unforgiven? Yeah, it's up to you. Go ahead. There's forgiveness available though. I guess God didn't jump through your hoop. He didn't do it the way you think He's supposed to do it. And so you keep trying to do something a different way and it's never, ever, ever going to work. And so you just live in that guilt and fear. Okay. What am I going to tell you? I can tell you the truth over and over and over again, but as long as you have that bad expectation, you're just going to keep trying to do it your own way and it will never, ever work. You tell oh, I'll just do good things for people, and then for sure I'll get saved. Oh, you just keep going then. And like I said, nothing wrong with doing good things, but it ain't going to get you saved. So you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, but you're never fulfilled. You never feel that, that oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in that place now. No. You might feel good about yourself because you're doing good things for people, but that ain't saved. And so you just keep hammering that square peg into that round hole and it never fits and it never will never this breaks my heart but if that's what you want to do it's just a total waste of time and effort at least where salvation is concerned but you know Naaman knew he knew and so Naaman turned He's all angry about it. He's all mad. So he turns. You know what? He heads back to Syria. So he's gone. And his servants pleaded with him. His servants. And you know what? Servants are humble because they're servants. They're not second in charge of a nation. They're not a commander of an army. They're just servants. There's a certain amount of humility that goes along with being a servant. And they went to Naaman and they said, Naaman, we love you like a father. Like you're a father to us. Said, Please listen. And here's the basic question they asked him. They were nicer than this, but here's the question. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose, Naaman? What 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 do you what are you holding on to? Your leprosy? What are you holding on to? Your pride? What are you holding on to? What do you have to lose? And they asked him nicer than that, but that's what they were asking him. What do you have to lose? And then they brought this question up to him and said, If Elisha had told you to do some great thing, some hard thing, <clears throat> something that would have taken effort, resources, personally cost him something. So if, they, if, if Elisha had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And the answer was yes. Here's a guy with leprosy. It's never going to be healed, never going to be cured by any natural means. And if Elisha had told him, like, go do this hard thing, go do this impossible thing, go do this thing that's going to cost you X, Y, and Z. Go do it. Would you have done it? And the answer was yes. And and so their question and name was, well, why not just do this small thing? Why not just do this really small thing? And so he reconsidered his decision as his servants asked him, The servants that loved him 
We saw him as a father. And some they said touched him and made sense to him. And he came to his senses. He came out of his pride into a place of humility. He came out of his expectations into the place of reality. And he saw the opportunity. He received it. And so he went down to the Jordan, that muddy river, that dirty river. He washed himself seven times and he was healed. He was cleansed of the leprosy. And the Bible says that he took a bunch of the the soil with him back to Syria so that he could make sacrifice and worship and serve the one true God after that. So something happened to him that he was converted to the one true God. And there's something about a place of humility and a place of being humble, a place of seeing ourselves as equals with one another before him that allows us to receive. And a lot of times in our lives, it is really the small thing. It really is. And although that goes against our desire to complicate everything, that goes against our desire to make things harder, it goes against our desire to, to make things tougher, to punish ourselves, or whatever it might be in our head, whatever those expectations are, wherever they came from, got to make it harder. You want to be, you want to receive and be overcome by the Spirit. Somebody has to take their sport coat off and hit you in the head with it, <laughs> if that's what it is. Right? And I know it goes against those things, but you don't need a sport coat swung in your face to be slain out in the Spirit. You can just receive. You can just receive. You can yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And, and He just moves over your life. He might just overcome you sometime. It doesn't have to be a perfect song. Or it doesn't have to be the perfect altar call. Or it doesn't have to be a fancy person up front. Or it doesn't have to be that person you saw on YouTube. But I'll tell you something. We're living in a time right now today where a lot of those YouTube heroes that are from charismatic circles, prophetic circles, are in crisis. And that whole movement is in crisis right now. You had 20 prophets, at least 20 prophets, from, the, from, from high level charismatic circles make prophecies over the last month, two months, three months, that did not come to pass. And there are some of the top guys. And the last time I looked, of those 20, two had apologized. And these are YouTube stars. YouTube stars. I believe if you want to know something, why don't you ask God? That's what I believe. I believe that you're sitting in the midst of a prophetic people right now. That's what I believe. And I believe God speaks through each of us. He speaks over our lives. He speaks to us as a, a body of believers. He speaks to us about things that are going on. But sometimes he even speaks about things that are coming up. I mean, we receive words from, you know, across the ocean, around the world sometimes, from people about things that are coming up and things that are happening. Because we're in the midst of a prophetic people. And I think God wants to remind us sometimes and 
I think this so-called crisis that the, the charismatic prophetic movement is finding themselves in is really a stern reminder that before God, we're all equal. We're all equal. And there's a lesson in humility and there's a lesson in being humble that we all need to take to heart. I need to take to heart. You need to take to heart. We need to take to heart. And it's in that place that we can receive. As I was saying, you know, we want to complicate things, but if you believe, now listen to these statements. And and I know you've heard these before because I say them quite often. You ready? If you believe, then you can be saved. If you believe, you can be saved. Or if you repent, you're forgiven. Or maybe if you're washed, then you can be clean. Right? Right? Now, I know we want to complicate that, but it's not complicated. It's the small things. And as the the servants of Naaman said to him, we love you. What do you have to lose? Seriously. You're still full of leprosy. And you getting mad about it and storming off or you getting upset about it and continuing down the road you've been on doing the same things over and over again is not going to get rid of it. What do you have to lose? If if it was a complicated thing, you're more than willing to do that. Why not do the simple thing that you've been given? You want to be saved? Believe. You want to be forgiven? Then repent. Then you want to be clean? Be washed. If we'll confess our sin, He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive, and He will cleanse from all unrighteousness. What's your job in that? Confess. Oh no, it can't be that easy. It is. It's the small thing. It's the small thing. Can we do the small thing? If we can do the small thing, then we can receive, we really receive what God has for us. Well, that doesn't meet my expectation. Nope. Nope. That isn't what I was told. Nope, maybe not. That isn't what I learned when I was a kid. Probably not. Probably wouldn't be as messed up as you are now if if you did. Maybe. And seriously, what do you have to lose? Guilt? Shame? What do you have to lose? If you can receive it, receive it. I hope you can. I hope you can. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just providing ways for us to live. The way for us to live. And I thank you for Jesus that he didn't come with a complicated theology. But he came with a simple message. And I pray, God, that we could receive of that simple message and be made whole. I just ask, God, that we would stop making stuff up, stop living as children, recognize our own pride and allow for the God of the universe to be God.
I pray tonight we can hear you. I pray tonight we can respond. Even as Naaman did. Just to stop this ridiculous, angry trek that our life has become. And do the simple thing. Because God, I thank you there's healing there. I thank you there's wholeness. And I thank you there's life. Forgive us of our pride. Cleanse us of that pride. And I pray, God, you would clothe us in humility. Thanks, God. Pray we do the small thing. For ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 